welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Brian Jackson turned his life around by developing an unusual personal strength. He tapped into a drive to achieve using his own powerful lungs to make a name for himself. In the process, he smashed a number of world records, and he's built a foundation of positive energy and goal setting that inspires others to find their own internal strengths and abilities. He's called the I Believe Guy and also the Hurricane. Tune in after the news to find out why. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The Rosebud Sioux Tribal Council wants to pull its tribal flag from the South Dakota Capitol building. The move comes just over a month after the flag was placed in the state capitol rotunda. South Dakota Public Broadcasting's Lee Strubinger has more. The Rosebud Tribal Council voted unanimously to direct the tribal president to retrieve the flag from the state capitol rotunda. The flag retrieval comes in response to a special address by Republican Governor Kristi Noem to the legislature about the southern border. In that speech, she alluded to a gang called, quote, ghost dancers and tribal members getting involved in Mexican drug cartel activity. Both Rosebud and Standing Rock tribal flags were placed in the Capitol Rotunda at the beginning of session. Representative Eric Emery is Suchangu Lakota and was one of the lawmakers who presented the Rosebud flag to Governor Nome during that ceremony. Emery says the state should respect the tribe's request. We graciously presented that flag uh, a few weeks ago with the understanding that it would bring some cooperation from the state in between the tribes. Um, unfortunately, you know, that's, that's not what's happening anymore. Um, and I, you know, I have to stand behind the RST's position on wanting their flag back. Emery says he'd like to see more dialogue between the governor and the tribe. The governor's office has not responded to immediate requests for comment. In a statement to Kello News, a spokesperson for the governor says they'll continue to honor the Rosebud Sioux tribe by flying the flag in the Capitol Rotunda. For National Native News, I'm Lee Strubinger in Pier. Leaders of the Forest County Potawatomi gave the 20th annual State of Tribes Address in Wisconsin last week. While mostly highlighting cooperation with the state, tribal officials did say more needs to be done. Chuck Kornbach of Station WUWM reports. Wisconsin is a politically divided state, but Forest County Potawatomi Tribal Chairman James Crawford thanked Democratic Governor Tony Evers and the Republican-controlled state legislature for joint efforts to address the lack of affordable housing, worker shortages, and federal Medicaid reimbursements in tribal communities. Crawford says one problem in need of more attention is the trafficking of Native females. In tribal communities all across the country, including right here in Wisconsin, Native women and girls are being exploited, trafficked, and subjected to violence at disproportionately high rates. Crawford says the Wisconsin Attorney General and members of a task force on missing and murdered Indigenous women are trying to reduce the problem. Also speaking at the state capitol event was Forest County Potawatomi Elder Eugene Shawno Sr., who gave the opening prayer. After speaking in his native language, Shono translated to English, including a concern about Mother Earth. We're the ones that are abusing her, 
and creating this illnesses that we're getting to COVID, cancer, tuberculosis. We know it's going to continue finding new diseases because we're not helping our mom stay clean to keep providing for us. Shano says Mother Earth will never give up, but everyone needs to pay attention to her needs. For National Native News, I'm Chuck Quirmbach. Lily Gladstone received outstanding performance by a female actor in a leading role at the Screen Actors Guild Awards over the weekend. She was honored for her role as Molly Burkhart in Killers of the Flower Moon. The native actor made history last month with her Golden Globe win for her role in the film. Up next is the Oscars in March. Gladstone is nominated for Best Actress. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. Support by the American Indian College Fund, providing millions of dollars of scholarships to Native students every year. Applications are accepted through May 31st at collegefund.org or by phone at 800-766-FUND. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling, your National Humanities Medal-awarded radio show and podcast. One skill Brian Jackson is known for is lifting a car off the ground with his own breath. The feat is accomplished with Jackson inflating a giant balloon that pushes the wheels off the ground. He has an incredible set of lungs that have earned him several world records. One of his other stunts includes blowing up hot water bottles until they explode from the pressure. He now makes appearances, inspiring others with a message of believing in yourself. But his journey was not always so positive. He often talks about his drug-dealing past and scrapes with the law that were leading down a dark path. Somewhere along the way, he envisioned a brighter future for himself. We're talking with Brian Jackson today. Stan Lee, the famous Marvel Comics creator, gave him the nickname The Hurricane. Jackson also calls himself the I Believe Guy. And you better believe that you can join today's discussion by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us now from Tahlequah, Oklahoma, is Brian Jackson. He is a motivational speaker, an author, a certified archery instructor, and a 12-time Guinness World Record holder. He also goes by names like the Hurricane and the I Believe Guy. He is Cherokee, Muscogee, and Seminole. Hello, Brian. It is a pleasure to have you on Native America calling today, our featured Native in the Spotlight. Yo, nice to be with you guys from Tahlequah, Oklahoma. All right, brother. Show to you as well. And I don't think we've ever had a Guinness World Record holder on the show before, at least not since I've been the host. What do people say when they first meet you and learn about your incredible feats of strength and other accomplishments? You know, it's it's kind of mixed. Um, 
my daughter's driving my my uh, second truck right now, and it's got a world record holder on the back. And the guy stopped her one day and goes, "Is that true?" She goes, "Well, it's true, but it's my dad." <laughs> and uh, a lot of times they look me up and down, and because I'm only five foot five, they look me up and down and go, "There's no way you can do this." And so sometimes they don't believe it, and then I'm running to people that tell me they've seen me on one show or another and uh, congratulate me, and sometimes you know want a picture with me, and so. It's always mixed. Well, you've been on a bunch. I mean, Good Morning America, CNN, Fox Sports, uh, Canadian shows, America's Got Talent, Stanley Super. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on, Brian. So many television credits and other exposure. Tell us more about these exceptional talents you have, and especially this amazing lung capacity. <laughs> well, people ask me all the time, how how did I train, and so. You know, I always like to have fun. I always tell them, well, I yelled at my kids all the time. <laughs> but actually, we stood in our church. There was a group of us that wanted to do some stuff for our kids. And so there was a few of us that wanted to learn how to make balloon animals. So I don't know if you're familiar with those long, skinny balloons that they make animals out of. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we, we We used the pump, and we would learn how to make balloon animals. And they went to event. we went to an event one day, and we had forgotten our pumps. And so it was faced with, hey, letting these kids down because we're not going to make balloon animals or learn to blow them up by our mouth. And so I I just told myself I'm never going to rely on a pump again. And I made myself learn how to blow one up. And when I got to where I could blow up one of those balloons, then I went to two, then I went to three. I got all the way up to where I could blow up nine of those long, skinny balloons at the same time. And... (laughs) Of course, it wasn't overnight. It wasn't easy, and it wasn't handed to me. And uh, after I got to where I could blow up nine, my girls and I were watching a Guinness World Record show one night, and a guy from Luxembourg blew up a hot water bottle for a world record. And I looked at that. I watched that video, and I looked at those balloons, and I went, "Wonder if I could do that." And so, that set me on a journey of, uh, you know, sometimes you got to make your own path. I didn't know anybody that held a world record. I didn't know how to train. I didn't know who to get a hold. I didn't know what to do. And so I finally got a hold of Guinness World Records, and the world record at the time was 52.68 seconds. Uh, got some hot water bottles, and I started practicing. And um, it took me seven years, 49 record attempts to beat that world record. Now, I saw when you first broke that record, I mean, it knocked you out. It actually, I mean, it, there was so much pressure in that balloon. You're right. It knocked me out. It dislocated my jaw. It separated my ribs. It's like being in front of a car tire when it explodes, but you're inches away. I actually don't remember breaking that world record. I remember seeing the ceiling and my daughter uh, over me, you know, kind of scared. And I got up and I kept hearing, you did it, you did it, you did it. So I just went with that and I was like, I did it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's just... Do you have any idea, like, how much pressure it takes to to blow up one of those balloons or, like, even, like, lift a car like that? I mean, how much pressure? What is it? Uh, I've always been told that the ones that you have to do for a world record, they're called British Standard Hot Water Bottles. They hold as much pressure as four car tires. And so it it, uh, it's not just your lung strength. You have to uh, train your neck, your back, your shoulders, your hands to hold it, your legs. Um, it's very similar to when you get sick and get dry heaves and you're, you know, you just keep trying to get sick. Uh, everything in your body is pushing 
outward uh, into that hot water bottle. And, you know, you never know when it's going to burst. Sometimes they go fast, sometimes they don't. The longest one took me about a little over five minutes. Uh, and then after I broke the record for one, I did three in a minute and eight seconds. And then a cut, several years later, I went on to break the world, or yeah, set a world record for blowing up five hot water bottles in under a minute. It's <laughs> just amazing. Now, you were an elite cross-country runner growing up in high school. Um, obviously, that had to have played a big part in just having this enormous lung capacity. You know, I'm glad you say that because at the time, I really didn't think it did. I thought I had a coach that didn't like me, uh, just like a lot of kids. He asked me to do things I didn't like. He asked me to do things I didn't understand, I didn't agree with. I was a long distance runner and I'd get finished with my practice and he'd go, go work. Go, he'd tell me, go work out with the sprinters. And I'm like, why? I'm not a sprinter. Some days he'd tell me, go work out with the high jumpers and go, go work out with, you know, all these people. And I'm like, I don't understand. Why do you keep asking me to do all these things? Why don't you like me? And then the kicker was, uh, I grew up in Seminole, Oklahoma, and there was a cemetery outside of town called Little Cemetery. And he took us all the long distance runners out to that little cemetery and he dropped us off. He said, I'll see you when you get back to school. And that cemetery was nine miles away from school. And I thought, man, this man just does not like me. And it took me a long time to realize it wasn't that he didn't like me, but in fact, he saw something in me I never saw myself. And if I could learn to tap into that inner strength and push myself beyond what I thought I could, you know, Who's, who, could, who who knew what would happen? And I ended up going to the state track meet in the two-mile run my junior year in high school. And uh, it was after that that I my life turned to a different direction, and I got involved with drugs and alcohol and started smoking pot and thought I was cool. And uh, But uh, my senior year in high school, which should have been and could have been my best year in high school, was my worst one, all to the fact that I, I started drinking and smoking, doing drugs. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. You were once considered armed and dangerous by law enforcement in Seminole County, Oklahoma. And um, at one point, you were involved in one of the largest drug busts in the county. Yeah, I got to where uh, part of my arrest warrant said uh, I had no value for life, and that was very true. Uh, I got to a point where I just didn't care, and I had a couple of guys do me wrong on drug deals. And I would, you know, pick their lock on their door and walk in and wake them up in, in not a very friendly way, uh, tie them up and take back what I thought was mine. And, and, uh, and on one of those events, I didn't know it, but the Oakland State Bureau of Investigation was watching the house and saw everything I did. And um, within a few days, I'm at a friend's house and we're having fun, drinking, smoking, goofing off. And uh, all of a sudden, police, uh, Police cars, sheriff's cars, highway patrol cars, helicopter over the house with a spotlight came in and took us down. And next morning, I'm looking at 10 years in prison. My arrest warrant said armed and dangerous shoot to kill everybody resisted because I had no value for life. And uh, I had gone a long way away from where I was growing up. I grew up with my family going to church. And, you know, um, like a lot of people do, I just I got away from it and and just did some stupid things. People on drugs and alcohol do some things they normally would never do. And uh, it was in jail that I got a second chance. A local pastor came in and prayed with me and 
I got saved in jail. And I remember in jail saying, God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go. And I had no idea the magnitude of what I was saying. But it wasn't long after that, I started going to that little church and learned how to make balloon animals. And my whole life took a whole different route um, than I ever thought it would be. I really thought I'd end up in prison or dead. It's just an amazing story you have here, Brian. I, I'm just uh, overwhelmed, transfixed, just listening to you talk and, and share so much of your history and uh, appreciate how open you are and uh, you just tell it like it is. And uh, I imagine people appreciate that about you. You just tell it like it is. Well, you know, I meet a lot of parents that have asked me, I wish you wouldn't get so graphic. And I said, do you want me to lie? And I think sometimes, you know, I was a single parent. I raised two girls from four and five to 15 and 16, almost all on my own. And I think sometimes we cover so much up that when our kids make a mistake, they they go through this thing that they think they're the only one that screwed up. And that can be very damaging for anybody to think, man, I'm the only one that's ever screwed up my life. Man, I made so many mistakes. I can't tell anybody. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. don't know who to talk to. And so when I get in front of a group, obviously, depending on what group, what age it is, you know, from probably fourth grade on down, there's a different message fifth grade on up it's 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 i hit it really hard because i want those kids to think what i did you know i started off really well the mistakes i made were really stupid but then i got a second chance and i meet so many kids that tell me you know i'm never going to get a second chance because i'm too small brian we're going to talk more after this break uh give us a call if you'd like to give a shout out to brian jackson 1-800-99-NATIVE Osage traditional singer Scott George is up for an Academy Award for the song he composed for the movie Killers of the Flower Moon. The song's title translates to Song for My People. We'll find out how that song came about and George's long connection to traditional music on the next Native America Calling. Support by Archaeology Southwest. Did you know almost all major archaeological sites in the Southwest have been looted or vandalized? Looting and vandalism impact indigenous people, past, present, and future. Every day, countless Native American cultural items are lost or damaged forever through looting and vandalism. Federal and tribal laws protect archaeological resources. More information about ending archaeological resource crime and how to submit a tip at savehistory.org and on social media at Save History. Thanks for tuning in today to Native America Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. We're hearing the unique story of Brian Jackson's life. He discovered the power of his own lungs and built that into a drive to break world records. He also takes his message of inspiration and passion to young people and others. If you'd like to give Brian a shout out or ask him for help lifting your car with his breath so you can change a flat tire, give us a call. 1-800-996-2848. We've got the phone lines open right now. 1-800-996-2848. Brian, um, your nickname, The Hurricane, how did that come about? Well, yeah, I'm at home one day, and, and uh, I get a phone call from Stan Lee, the creator of Spider-Man, X-Men, and Marvel Comics. And, you know, on the phone, I was trying to be really cool, but inside I was like, this is Stan Lee. And so... <laughs> He's like, Brian, we we, uh, we do a show on the History Channel called Stanley Superhumans, and he goes, have you ever seen it? I said, oh, yeah, we watched it. 
He said, how would you like to be on season two? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Uh, you know, I don't advertise. And so uh, anytime somebody gets a hold of me, just like your radio show, I'm always surprised. And so uh, we did several video uh, Zoom calls to just discuss what we would do when I got to Las Vegas. And they asked me, they said, Brian, is there anything you've never done that you'd like to try to do? So let me say that again, because this is to all of those people listening. Is there something you'd like to try to do? If, if you thought it was possible, what would it be? When's the last time you took a step out of faith before you knew it had to be God? And I'd look, I, I'm on that Zoom call. I said, I want to see if I can lift a car. And they're like, you can lift a car? I said, I didn't say I could lift a car. You asked me, if what would I like to try to do? And I said, I want to see if I can lift a car. Well, it's out there now. I mean, you said it. So now they're like, well, how can you do it? So uh, we did some research and came up with the things that uh, firemen to use when a semi's rolled over, a big airlift bag. And so we got an airlift bag here to Tahlequah, and I went to local uh, um, paramedics and uh, fire department and tried to lift a car, and I couldn't do it. I, I tried, and I tried, and I tried. I couldn't do it. And finally, I asked all the people that were watching, I said, any suggestions? And one of them said, you got a 20-foot hose on her. Cut that hose in half. Less resistance. So it made sense. I went home, cut the hose in half. We didn't have time to try it. The next morning, I flew out to Las Vegas. I meet Daniel Browning Smith, the host of Stanley Superhumans. And I blow up balloons. I blow up hot water, uh, hot water bottles. And uh, we talked to a scientist, a medical expert. And they told him, don't let him try to lift the car. And they said, why? They said, it'll kill him. So they were going to cut it. They were going to say, well, let's just don't lift the car. And I said, I came here to lift a car. So we go to the mechanic shop. They've got a car waiting for me. We put the lift bag underneath there, and I prayed really hard. And I blew into that lift bag, and the car came off the ground. It weighed 2,500 pounds, and that was the first car I lifted off the ground. And when we got done, Stan goes, I got your name. You're the hurricane. And I was like, that is so cool. <laughs> to have Stan Lee, and I'm the only Native American that's ever been on that show. And so, you know, I don't look at it like I'm representing Seminole Nation, Choctaw Nation, Cherokee Nation, Muskogee Creek Nation. I see it as I'm representing Native Americans. Mm -hmm. And so to be on that show and be able to lift that car and have a nickname by Stan Lee, you know, he's gone now, so there won't be any more. So that's where the hurricane come from. I love it. What a nickname. And I do want to advise our listeners, uh, all of these stunts and, and amazing feats of physical talent and ability and strength, please, please don't try these at home. Do not try these at home. Brian, um, from the videos and some of the articles, I mean, you always have medical staff on hand when you attempt these feats. It's very dangerous. You know, the hot water bottles have more pressure than your lungs should hold. They're thicker than your lung tissue. I had one paramedic, we were doing another show called Extraordinary Humans, and when they, they had a paramedic there, and they said, why am I here? And they said, we're here in case something happens to Brian. And he said, you don't understand. We're 10 minutes away from town. If what could happen happens, there's nothing I can do for that man. And so the, it's very dangerous. Uh, since my last event, I have had four th uh, throat surgeries, and a part of my colon had to be taken out. That pressure is it's extreme pressure, and this comes from years and years of training. And even then, you know, one slip, 
and, and it, it could be done. Brian, have you ever had a doctor or somebody else like do like a medical analysis of, of just how your body is able to do all this, your lungs and just, I mean, you mentioned also your neck, everything. I'm just curious, like, cause you just sound, I mean, you're superhuman and anybody who can do things like this has just an off the chart type of skill. Well, I, I feel like part of it is the training and then part of it, the creator's given me the ability to do things. It's just whether I'm willing to go through uh, what it takes to get there. And uh, a lot of the shows that I went on, they would have me see, be seen by a medical expert, scientist, EKGs, heart monitors, lung x-rays, you name it. And there's nothing different about me. In fact, I'm, I'm really not that big. I'm five foot five. And so they, they're like, where's the air compressor at? But there's really uh, <laughs> it's the training, the training and the technique. And um, on one show, they said, I can exert. 26% more volume than the average person. And that just comes from training. But like you said, you're holding this like hot water bottle or the nozzle against your mouth and you have to hold it so tight that it doesn't leak because any air that leaks, you have to put it back in there. It works your neck, your arms, your shoulders, your back, your legs. Um, it, it's a full body workout um, for however long that it takes you to achieve what you're trying to achieve. And then it's months of preparation before then. Brian, you shared earlier that you don't advertise. And I'm just thinking, I mean, in this day and age of social media and internet, you seem like you'd be gold for that. I can just see you with a huge, huge following on Instagram and YouTube videos. Why aren't you involved in that kind of stuff? Um, I, I'm a firm believer that the creator is going to give me, put me where he wants me to be when he wants me to be there. Uh, and not overwork me. And um, uh, it's not about money for me. Uh, obviously, you have to have money, and, I, you know, I do get paid. But um, to me, when you can reach one youth, one person, um, that's priceless to me. And so uh, when when America's Got Talent called me, I was I was surprised. And they said, you know, we want you to come to Chicago, and you won't have to – you won't have to wait in line. We'll give you a specific time that you could uh, try out. And I said, you want me to come all the way to Chicago for a what if? And they're like, well, yeah. And I said, well, that's a hardship for my family. I appreciate it, but no, thank you. And my friends were like, you're stupid. Well, they called me back and they said, hey, we're in Dallas. It's only a four-hour drive. You don't have to wait in line if you'll uh, come down and, and try out. And I said, you want me to go all the way to Dallas for a what if? And I <laughs> I appreciate it, but no, thank you. And they called me the third time. And they said, we're in Seattle. And I'm thinking, you're farther now than you were. In <laughs> they said, we want you on the show. If you'll come and do the show, we'll pay for your flight, your hotel, your meals, everything. Just come and be on the show. So I went to Seattle. And, uh, you know, so many times, especially young people, will do anything for 15 seconds of fame. And it's not always a good thing. You know, you really got to uh, weigh – weigh your options, what they're asking you to do. Is it really good or not? And so um, even though I've had people tell me, Brian, you, you know, you could be so rich if you would just um, do things different. And, and I, my answer is always I've never been told I was rich. I, I was told I'd be blessed. And I'm very blessed. And so it's not a money thing. I love speaking to groups from uh, schools to churches to conferences to conventions. 
and I do get paid for those things, but it's never about the money for me. It's about sharing what our creator could do through any one of us because every one of us have some kind of gift and talent, but some of us aren't willing to do what it takes to get you to that finish line. Just like that coach that saw me, saw something in me I never saw myself. There were so many things that he instilled in me that I remember in my training, push it, do one more, do one more, do one more lap. You know, um, the last thing I did was for Ripley's, believe it or not, we put three of those airbags under a semi-trailer. And imagine 50 minutes of constant pressure, uh, breathing in, breathing out, your body going through all this strain. And after 50 minutes, that semi-trailer that weighed 5,487 pounds came off the ground. And that was my last feat. And and I was able to do it for Ripley's Believe It or Not. And I they came after me as well. They said, we're doing the season of Ripley's Believe It or Not. We want you on the show. And so I feel very fortunate, very blessed that I've had the opportunities that I've had. But it, um, I just don't feel like I'm supposed to um, market myself, if that's the way you see it. Mm-hmm. And Brian, when was that last feat uh, on Ripley's? What year was that? 2017. 2017. Now, since yeah, that time and before, you've been heavily involved in outreach, motivational speeches. You've traveled around the U.S. You've been to Europe. You've been to China. Tell us more about the message that you have for your audiences and especially the work that you do with Native youth. When I'm going to a, another country, to uh, another Guinness show, uh, it's like an adult talent show, you know. I've met the tallest man, the shortest man, the guy with the stretchiest skin. I've met Marios Pujanowski, five times strongest man in the world. And I can remember them uh, asking several of the strong men, hey, can I get your autograph? And then re- in return, say, we want your autograph. And I'm like, what? They said, we lift cars, but you lift them with your lung strength mm-hmm. and level of respect. And so when I started going to do these shows as native american i make leather pouches much like uh, medicine bags and uh, uh, the i believe logo is a sticker and i would go to these different countries and i would meet world record holders and producers and directors even the people sweeping the floor and i would hand these pouches out and they would ask me why do you give us these things and i said it's my way of saying thank you and I remember one of the producers saying, you know, we've got a whole group of people here that are world record holders. None of them gave us anything. And I said, well, I can't tell you why they don't. I can tell you it's part of my tradition that we say thank you. And so getting to share part of my tradition, I've always thought, my dad told me it's not the size of the gesture, it's the gesture. And in China, I got to wear traditional clothes, um, jerky traditional clothes. And that they brought me in in a horse-drawn chariot, and the crowd just oohed and awed. And it wasn't a bad ooh. We've all heard those bad oohs. And when I came into that arena, they said in Chinese, obviously, they said Brian Jackson's Native American. This is his traditional clothes. And the amount of respect I got was very moving to me. And so when I'm in front of a group of kids, my goal is to get them to dream. I'm a big dreamer. Yeah, we might not be able to achieve it, but, you know, when we were little, we all dreamed. We all had these crazy dreams of what we were going to do, what we were going to achieve, where we were going to go in life. And somewhere along the line, life hit us really hard, and we quit dreaming. Well, I still dream. doesn't mean I achieve everything I'm going to do. I was on America's Got Talent and could not do what I said I could do. 
but I was still on America's Got Talent. So my goal is to to reach these youth and, and anybody I speak to that and, and get them to, you know, you got to believe in yourself. You know, so many people are scared to take that step out. Well, somebody's going to laugh at me. I hold 12 Guinness World Records and they still laugh at me. So they're going to laugh anyway. So why not at least try, you know, and uh, along the way, I started doing organizations and schools that would let me do a group uh, attempt where everybody gets to try this world record. And one of them, even though it sounds silly, we had 1,820 kids on a football field in Skytook, Oklahoma, 1,820 kids doing fist bumps. Now, a lot of people are going to laugh. A lot of people that have grown up are going to say, that's kind of silly and stupid. But 1,820 kids a year from then, five years from now, 20 years from now, you remember when we were in SkyTick and we broke that world record? They did something that nobody in the world had ever done. And so when I work with groups and, and kids, you know, it may not be doing push-ups or sit-ups or jumping jacks because those same kids already sit on the corner of the of room and watch and don't participate. So I look for things that anybody can achieve because I want them to at least know we're all capable of something. I'm just full of hot air. <laughs> on the other hand, on the other hand, people say I have the strongest lungs in the world, but it's the same thing. Mm. It's just look at it. Brian, do people ever come up to you and say, I saw you. I saw you on TV. I saw you in Tahlequah on a stage doing a feat. And, and because of you, I was inspired to make a change, or I was inspired to chase a dream, or I was inspired to pursue a goal. Do you get feedback like that? Yeah. And to me, you know, um, an elder, I heard an elder in uh, North Dakota say this one day, and it meant so much. And, you know, we, in English, we put so many words into meanings but he said this he said this does my heart good and i never forgot that i was my wife and i and our girls were at dinner one night and the waitress was really nice but she never mentioned anything she came back and brought us some more drinks and you know checked on us and when we finally got the ticket there was a smiley face on there and it said i still believe because of you mm. oh, that geez. didn't and, you know, on occasion when somebody comes up and on the op, it's got its good and funny side because, you know, I've been doing this for so long. I have people come up. I remember when you, I was in third grade and I was like, yeah, how long ago was that? <laughs> 59. And so I, you know, part of what I wanted to set out and do was change my legacy from being known as the biggest drug dealer in my hometown. I wanted to change that legacy. And, um, in, in some ways, I feel like I did, but I also feel like there's so much more work to do. There's so many more youth. There's one more youth, one more youth. Um, you know, you never know what you do and how it's going to affect the people around you. And sometimes they, you might not ever know it. You might not ever see it, but people are watching us. They really are. And Brian, another one of your just really profound quotes, it was after uh, one of your world record attempts in Tahlequah, and you said, you've just got to get to a point where you're happy with who you are and, and what you have. 
And I, that to me just really resonated with me because I, I'm, I'm in my 50s too. And that is so true. But yet it's hard to do too because I feel like there's so much pressure to, you know, like you said, like social media, buy things and do things. And sometimes we just got to be able to take a step back and just be happy with who you are. And that's part of your message too. You know, it's very true. We put so much importance on material things and our cars, our houses, our our clothes. And, you know, I still go to garage sales. You know, we were at an auction one night, and my wife and I and the lady behind us, when I went up to pay for the stuff we bought, my wife told me, the lady behind her, she said, is that the I Believe guy? She goes, yeah. He goes to auctions. She said, he goes to auctions. He goes to pawn shops. He goes to... (laughs) (laughs) Right, okay. We're going to take another break, but we've got a lot more to talk about with Brian Jackson, the hurricane, the I Believe guy. Somebody give us a call. want to hear what you think, what you want to talk to Brian about. He's all open for conversation. 1-800-996-2848. I'm Michael, and I used to smoke. I never used to think about breathing. Then my left lung collapsed, and I was diagnosed with COPD. Now I think about breathing all the time. I'm on an oxygen machine so I can breathe. I take medicine so I can breathe. My tip is, enjoy the breaths you don't have to think about. You don't know how long you'll have them. Smoking can cause COPD. You can quit. For free help, visit cdc.gov slash quit now. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. We are happy to have you along today on Native America Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. If you've ever tried to inflate a hot water bottle, then you know the power our guest today has in his lungs. Among the many exploits Brian Jackson is known for is inflating a hot water bottle until it explodes. He's also a motivational speaker, and you can ask him a question at 1-800-996-2848. That number again, 1-800-996-2848. Brian, uh, another one of your skills we haven't talked about yet is archery. Uh, Tell us a little bit more. How did you get so involved with the sport of archery? Oh, I love archery. Nothing like slinging arrows. You know, uh, (laughs) I went to work Cherokee Nation back in 1995, and my boss at the time, his name was Jerry Snell, and uh, Jerry Snell ran a traditional game game, Native American game called the cornstalk shoot. And uh, he walked up to me one day and he said, Brian, you ever done the cornstalk shoot? And I said, no. He goes, well, you do now. And that was my introduction. It's traditional bows. Uh, we stack a, a, a group of cornstalks that are cut three foot long into a rack that's 12 inches deep, three foot high. One is on uh, one rack's on one end of the field and one's on the other end of the field, much like a football field. You shoot arrows that have spikes on the end because you get points for how many cornstalks your arrows go through. So if you were just to shoot a regular arrow with the field point, it might go through two or three. But if you were lucky enough to hit it with that spike, which sometimes those spikes are four inches to 12 inches long, if you hit that cornstalk rack with a cornstalk arrow, it's liable to go through 10 or 12. And the game is the first, the win is the first one to 50. And, you know, back in 1995, the first, many years that I did the cornstalk shoot, that game could last four or five hours because that's an 85 to 100-yard shot with a stick bow. And uh, it, it it was just, uh, I fell in love with it. And I, I kept it going much like much like the world record. I, I ended up going to rec- learn how to shoot recurve bows, to compound bows, to cross bows. 
And then I went to several schools. One is PSE out in Arizona. One is uh, Easton up in Utah. Uh, and along the line, I met a lot of traditional Native American archers that, you know, make their own bows, make their own arrows, make their own uh, arrow tips, uh, very similar to gig, uh, uh, crawdad gigs. And so I always uh, it started a, a level of respect that, how they back in the day made these things and uh, not just for gain, but to feed their families. You know, if you couldn't shoot a bow, then you might not have been feeding your family very well. And then I was introduced to the atlatl, which is a long arrow-like spear that you hold the wooden stick and flip that, uh, the, the spear with. And so all of that traditional stuff is very, interesting to me and I have a lot of respect for it and you know that's one of the things that you know we always talk about our languages going but a lot of our traditions are going as well and so I love to throw hatchets I love to throw atlatls I love to do archery and uh, I just I, I feel very blessed again to have the opportunities to get to show kids what this is like and put a, sometimes the first bow in their hand first atlatl in their hand teach them how to throw a hatchet it's all motivation when you have somebody in front of you and they think there's no way I can throw this out loud. There's no way I can throw this hatchet. There's no way I can shoot this bow. And then you show them what to do, the, you know, the foundation uh, stance form and their success in hitting that target. That, that happens, something happens in any individual that feels that success. And so I feel very fortunate to be one of the many that gets the opportunity to put those items in the hands of people that have never done it before. Hmm. Brian, we've got, got a caller on the line right now, Chanupa, who is listening on Keeley Radio in Pine Ridge, South Dakota. Hello, Chanupa. What would you like to say to Brian? Hey, yeah, Brian, hey, thank you for your subject and what they're uh, interviewing on. And you too, Sean. It's a great time to talk about the athletic ability. Um, Brian, I want to know if you are familiar with two athletes from the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. They're still with us. One has got an organization called Running Strong, and that's uh, Billy Mills. And the other one is... Joe American Horse, his record has never been broken in the University of Lincoln, Nebraska. He 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 broke the record of uh, I think it was the 440-yard dash sprint when they do those batons. And to this day, Joe's like 80-something years old, and he's still with us. And he was two terms tribal president on the Oglala Sioux Tribe. But are you familiar with both of those two, Brian? And great work, and I'm glad, man, that you're standing on the topics of this stuff and great understanding about your sobriety. I appreciate that. Okay. Brian, feel free to respond. Billy Mills, Joe American Horse. I would love to say I've met Joe, but I've never met him. I would love to have the opportunity to meet him one day. Anybody that, you know, you get the opportunity to meet like that is, is always an honor. Uh, Billy Mills, I've met on several occasions and uh, have always been in awe of what he did and how he did it. You know, I just feel like there's something different in the heart of Native Americans that some people don't get. And it, it's to me, it's not something you can explain. It's just there. And uh, I would love to, to meet Joe one day just 
just imaging him running that 400 meters. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I've seen the video of, of Billy Mills numerous times along with the movie. And I've met him on several occasions and love to listen to him speak as well. Brian, you have a story, and we have time to share it. We've got a, at least another seven or eight minutes in the show, and it's uh, you talked earlier about the pipe bag, uh, and you have a story about how you came into the possession and then how you saw its return to its community. Can you share that with our listeners? Yes, about 1994, a gentleman that, in Seminole, Oklahoma, that made my I Believe logos had, had a thing that he said, it's an Indian thing, I don't really know what it is, but he said, if you want it, you can have it. He brought out what I thought was a tobacco tobacco pouch. It's about three, three and a half foot long. Beautiful, but I knew it had a lot of age to it. And so I obviously took it, and I put it up. And, in fact, I ended up making a shadow box coffee table and, and displayed it for several years. And then I put it back up. And a couple of years ago, while unpacking some stuff, I came across that tobacco pouch. And I made some phone calls and found out that it was uh, Lakota Sioux. And so I said, this needs to go home. So we made some contacts with some people I knew up in North Dakota. And it was Lakota Sioux. They wasn't sure what tri what community it came from. So within a matter of days, I decided, I just felt it in my heart. It needed to go home. It wasn't mine, even though I cherished it. So I drove to North Dakota. And along the way, every time I would stop for a break or get gas, I would take it out and just, to me, it was reintroducing it to its its stomping ground. And then I got to speak at uh, Standing Rock High School. And when I told the, the school why I was there and, and that I was bringing this back where it belongs, I didn't even have to mention much. But that all the kids in that high school gave that pouch a standing ovation. So the next day, I'm in front of a curator, a museum curator, and he said, it's a pipe bag, and told me, you know, the details of the pipe bag, and he said, it's out of my league. I won't even touch this. So they sent us to another individual, and he looked at it, and he said, the, the pumpkin beads on the back of this were very rare, so this would have been carried by somebody very important, but I'm, I'm not going to go any further because it's out of my category. We set up a time and a date to meet with some elders uh, there at the college, and um, the elder came up, and he looked at it for several minutes, and if you remember me saying this earlier, this is where this came from. He looked at that pipe bag, and he said, this does my heart good. He said, uh, two elder, other elders came up, and they said, this was made around 1890 or before. Some of the beads were from 1740 when they traded with uh, Scandinavia, I believe is where they said. And I'm just standing there saying, what? Are, are you kidding me? And they named out several things about the pouch that, that gave it its age, that it was, it was uh, held by somebody in very high power. And... They said a blessing over it and a prayer over it, and then he sang a song. And two ladies that came up were elders. They said, when you were singing that song, there was another voice, and it was the voice of the owner of that of that pipe bag. And they said, what do you want for it? And I said, I don't want anything for it. it it's not about money. It's not mine. It needs to go home. I brought it all this way 
give it, take it back home. And the elder, he said, what's ironic is our Cherokee brother, that their tribe has very, you know, a, a terrible history, just much like theirs. He said in 1890, around 1890s, he said a lot of our things were destroyed. And they didn't say why or what, but we know. And he said the significance of this is we don't have a lot of our artifacts. And you brought us back something that could be one of our oldest artifacts. And I just stood there thinking, how could you put a dollar figure on that? I know a lot of people do, but Mm -hmm. it was never about money to me. It needed to go home, but I had no idea what I had in my possession. And so, uh, you know, they asked me, they said, what's in it? I said, I never looked. They said, you never looked in there? I said, it wasn't mine. I said, the only thing I did was I did a blessing over it, and I smudged it, and I put some sage in there like I was asked to before I made this trip. And so they accepted the pipe bag, and they told me, they said, it will go to uh, Standing Rock. It's from the Standing Rock community, and they had things on there that they recognized and said, that's how we can tell it's from Standing Rock. And um, it don't be surprised if it gets put back into use or people can see it. And, you know, uh, I want to write a book, and I've talked to them about this. Uh, I want to, in collaboration with them, to share uh, a story called, uh, you know, Going Home and how how I got it, uh, share the history of the pipe bag and, and the tribe who would have made it, and they told me a young girl would have made one for her brother to learn how, then her dad, then eventually her husband. And I want to share that. And then from my point of view, from our tribe, I want to share some of our history and why it was important for me to not take money for it, but just to give it back home. And I want to call the book The Journey Home with the importance on the back of the book that says, if you have something that's not yours, Think about letting it go home because you really don't know what you have. And it could be something that was very important to that tribe. And so, you know, I came home from from that trip changed. The respect, the the appreciation, the honor, uh, the kids that gave it a standing ovation when they just saw it, uh, to the elder that said, this does my heart good. There was, there's so many words in those few words. Yeah. There really are, Brian. And, and your story is so on point, especially now with so much uh, focus and discussion on repatriation efforts in what you're talking about. Just amazing. We've got time for another caller, Tom, who's also listening on Keeley in Wounded Knee, South Dakota. Hello, Tom. You're on the air. Hey, I just wanted to say wopila to Lexi Chanupa for recognizing my dad, Joe, American Horse Senior. And I wish, uh, yeah, something would be done for him because uh, I talk to him on a daily basis, and he's got a lot of wisdom. He's 89 years old, and the things we share are all nothing about Lakota. So uh, if, if, if anything, if, 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 if I can, I'll leave my uh, email with, with uh, uh, America colleague and if you guys can get in touch with me, I can hook you up with my dad. My dad is home. Uh, he sits there. He, he oh, I, I just love my dad. But, yeah, I just wanted to say that. And thank you for all you do. Hoka. Pilamea. Toksha. Okay. 
All right. Thanks so much, Tom. So, uh, Brian, we'll get that contact information for you, and you can follow up with uh, Joe American Horse. How's that sound? Oh, yeah. Love that. All right. Well, you mentioned uh, this idea for the book. What other plans? What other goals? What else are you working on, Brian? <laughs> I, I just got contacted by uh, SDA, which is Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and we're going to start working with them to help reach our youth in a positive way. And I work with a group that's called uh, USAO, and we have speakers all over the country. And we go out and we, you know, try to reach our youth. Some of us are world record holders. Some of us are gold medal Olympic winners. Uh, we have a guy that's a uh, former PBR bull riding champion. We have a guy that's a former L.A. Laker. We we go out and we share our stories and, and hoping to motivate, inspire, and uplift our 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 our, our people. And uh I'm always open to anybody that feels like I could do any good to come out and speak, to present. Uh, I'm planning on a trip to Arizona, hopefully in the next month, with one of our speakers out there. And then on my way back, coming back through uh, uh, Texas to meet with the Cowboys so we can do a Cowboy and Indian thing. And uh, there's a lot of groups that I work with that uh, I volunteer with. One is... uh, Helping Crisis, which uh, helps women that have been, you know, through some some terrible things. And I do a thing called Walk a Mile in Her Shoes, where once a year I put on high heels and walk a mile to raise money for domestic violence. And so um, there's a lot of things that I, when I feel like it's important and it's a good cause, then I'm more than willing to be a part of Well, Brian, unfortunately, we are out of time, but thank you again for joining us and sharing your story. And it's because of people like you that this world is a better place and also Indian country is a better place. So best of luck to you going forward. Again, thank you, Brian. Thank you very much. We will be back here on Native America Calling again tomorrow with our Native Playlist, talking with Osage musician Scott George, whose song used in the film Killers of the Flower Moon is up for an Academy Award. Until then, have a great rest of your day, and thank you for listening to the one, the only, Native America Calling. The Indian Arts and Crafts Act protects authentic American Indian and Alaska Native artists and craftspeople and their art and craftwork. Under the act, it is illegal to market art or craftwork misrepresented as American Indian, Indian, Native American, or Alaska Native made, or as the product of a particular Indian tribe. Reporting potential act violations can be done at doi.gov IACB or at 1-888-ART-FAKE. Support provided by Indian Arts and Crafts Board. Ah, Khespukni. February is American Heart Month. Protect your heart by eating healthy, staying active, and managing stress. Heart disease can run in families, so talk with elders about your family history. For more information, contact your local Indian health care provider, visit healthcare.gov, or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. 
Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.